Coming up on Stu Does America. Violence continues to thrive in Israel. Blaze TV's Jason Buttrell is here to help us keep the record straight. Dr. Fauci has finally admitted it's okay to take your mask off outside. What else is he six months behind on? I can't wait to find out. And Elon Musk has rocked the crypto world once again with his decision to stop accepting Bitcoin at Tesla. You won't believe the reason why. So let's do the Elon Musk effect. Stu does America. Hey, 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 how you doing? You know that gas station near you that doesn't have any gas? <laughs> Don't worry about it at all. First of all, Joe Biden is on the case. Like a lumbering sloth, he will eventually get there. And when he does, after a short, you know, possibly very long nap, Biden will be sure to take care of any problem you're having. Secondly, the pipeline is already turning back on because Colonial Pipeline just went ahead and paid the ransom. <laughs> Reportedly, we're talking about five million bucks in Bitcoin directly to a gang of international criminals. Who said we don't negotiate with terrorists? They're the most fun people to negotiate with. <laughs> The fact that Bitcoin is often the currency of choice in these types of situations is one of the built-in risks to investing in cryptocurrency. Eventually, you have to wonder if governments crack down on their use because they argue that it's allowing so much illicit behavior to be funded. This is mostly an old argument from the beginnings of Bitcoin, and it is a profoundly stupid one. Bitcoin isn't actually anonymous. Every transaction is technically public, and it has helped governments track down all sorts of criminal behavior. And I don't know if you are aware of this, but there's an awful lot of illegal behavior funded by something called cash as well. Hmm. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, we just burn all of it. Sure, we print endless amounts, but we don't just burn it. But yesterday, the other big threat to crypto came into focus, Elon Musk's tweets. When he tweets something good about a cryptocurrency, it goes through the roof. When he does the opposite, lots of libertarian gamers look for the nearest rafter to throw their rope over. Here's what Elon tweeted. Tesla has suspended visit vehicle purchases using Bitcoin. We are concerned about rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially coal, which has the worst emissions of any fuel. Cryptocurrency is a good idea on many levels, and we believe it has a promising future. But this cannot come at a great cost to the environment. Tesla will not be selling any Bitcoin and we intend to use it for transactions as soon as mining transitions to more sustainable energy. We are also looking at other cryptocurrencies that use less than 1% of Bitcoin's energy per transaction. I mean, they only started taking these uh, transactions for Tesla in March, and they've already flip-flopped on this. Now, of course, this tweet immediately had a minor effect on Bitcoin prices. Um, yeah, you can see, kind of notice a little drop there. I mean, everything's going fine, that Elon tweets, and everything falls through the floor. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars of wealth destroyed in seconds. Isn't it fun? I will note that a currency that can be affected this much by a tweet from one guy isn't really a currency, is it? I mean, I'm a Bitcoin fan, and regardless of Elon's tweets, Bitcoin is still up like 15x in the last year. So I'm not a hater at all, and this will surely pass, but... There is some maturity that needs to happen here. If one guy can move this, you know, these markets this much with one tweet, it's not only a highly unstable market, it's also not as decentralized as we want to believe it is. After this tweet, it also caused a rash of people going on social media and canceling their orders with Tesla. 
Elon said Tesla will no longer accept Bitcoin as payment because it comes at a great cost to the environment. This is incorrect and disingenuous. I cannot support someone who pumps altcoins to uninformed people on TV and then blames Bitcoin as the problem. I hope Elon and Tesla rethink their stance on Bitcoin. Until then, cancel my Cybertruck order. There's a lot of these out there. Um, I should point out here, I don't actually really care what Elon Musk says about Bitcoin. I also don't really care if he's right about his environmental damages. This is a guy who is literally building spaceships to escape global warming. So while it's sometimes easy to forget, the guy is not a conservative. He's probably the single most insane environmentalist on the, on the entire planet today. He's basically more of a kind of like a wealthy Greta Thunberg with fancy toys. But I can't take how stupid the environmental argument on Bitcoin really is. This isn't a story about Bitcoin as much as it's a story about annoying environmentalists. So is Elon right? How terrible is Bitcoin for the environment? It was a question taken up uh, by Harvard Business Review, coincidentally, just about a week ago. As they note, quote, Bitcoin currently consumes about 110 terawatt hours per year, 0.55% of global electricity production, or roughly equivalent to the annual energy draw of small countries like Malaysia or Sweden. This certainly sounds like a lot of energy, but how much energy should a monetary system consume? Have you compared it to gold? Have you compared it to fiat currency? It's a lot to compare there. It's an interesting question, but honestly not the most important one. If you're an Elon Musk, what you care about is carbon emission. So it's not the total energy consumed, it's where that energy comes from, right? Quote, estimates of what percentage of Bitcoin mining uses renewable energy vary widely. In December 2019, one report suggested that 73% of Bitcoin's energy consumption was carbon neutral largely due to the abundance of hydropower in major mining hubs such as southwest China and Scandinavia. On the other hand, the CECAF estimated in September that 2020 that the figure was closer to 39%. But even if the lower number is correct, that's almost twice as much as the U.S. grid. It's hard to tell what the real number is here. But, you know, pick a point in the middle, and we're looking at roughly half of the energy used uh, for, you know, Bitcoin is what environmentalists would say is green energy. So why is this number so high? Because more than half of all Bitcoin mining occurs in the Sichuan region of China. I have a condo and a timeshare there. They're fantastic. What do they have a lot of in that region of China? Other than bats with interesting new coronaviruses and newly relocated Uyghurs. They have a lot, a lot of hydropower. And that is the entire game for the backbone of Bitcoin. To make the system run, Bitcoin mining occurs. And the best and probably only way to make it really profitable is to find the absolute cheapest energy you can find. That's what leads these companies to set up shop next to giant waterfalls. But these giant server farms can go anywhere. So another thing that Bitcoin takes advantage of is wasted energy. In the wet season in Sichuan and Yunnan, enormous quantities of renewable hydro energy are wasted every year. In these areas, production capacity massively outpaces local demand, and battery technology is far from advanced enough to make it worthwhile to store and transport energy from these rural regions into the urban centers that need it. These regions most likely represent the single largest stranded energy resource on the planet, and as such, it's no coincidence that these provinces are the heartlands of mining in China, responsible for almost 10% of global Bitcoin mining in the dry season and 50% in the wet season. But it's not just China and it's not just hydropower. There's wasted energy everywhere that Bitcoin miners are taking advantage of. 
Another promising avenue of, for carbon neutral mining is flared natural gas. The process of oil extraction today releases significant amount of natural gas as a byproduct, energy that pollutes the environment without ever making it to the grid. Since it's constrained to the location of remote oil mines, most traditional applications have historically been unable to effectively leverage that energy. But Bitcoin miners from North Dakota to Siberia have seized the opportunity to monetize this otherwise wasted resource. Got it? This stuff used to be just set into the atmosphere. Now it's being used by miners. This is energy that would have affected the environment anyway, and now it's not being wasted. This can't possibly be seen as a bad thing if you're an environmentalist. And finally, this is only going to get better, not worse. First of all, we're using cleaner and cleaner fuels to make our energy. As the technology improves, we'll continue to use more and more solar panels and such. But the Bitcoin mining industry cannot just continue to grow forever. Quote, unless the price of Bitcoin doubles every four years in perpetuity, which economics suggest is essentially impossible for any currency, that share of minor revenue will eventually decay to zero. So if you're a miner and the mining revenue is close to zero, do you continue to do it? I don't think so. As Harvard Business Review sums it up, when we ask, is Bitcoin worth the environmental impact, the actual negative impact we're talking about is likely a lot less alarming than you might think. Now, to be clear, I don't really care about the environmental impact of Bitcoin. I'm not Elon Musk, though many people on Twitter say I look a little like him. I don't know. I don't have his money. I don't want to start an electric car company. I don't have billions of dollars. While global warming might turn into a problem, it's a problem we can deal with without escaping on SpaceX rocket ships, which I might add, use a lot of fossil fuel. Each flight is, the, uh, esti is estimated to uh, the, be the equ equivalent of 395 transatlantic flights. And it's interesting to note the green energy splits on Bitcoin look a hell of a lot better than they do on Tesla a car company that uses massive amounts of resources to produce their cars and then plugs them into the U.S. energy grid, which only uses about 20% renewable energy. Or consider the Boring Company, which is digging under cities and building tunnels, probably not exactly without impact on the environment, and who produced a flamethrower for no other reason than it was funny. It is literally a device that burns propane and shoots it out in front of a gun for no other reason than to entertain you. It is a $500 device to encourage you to burn fossil fuels for fun. And it is also, it makes entirely more sense than anything else Elon Musk said yesterday about Bitcoin. Free email services like Gmail and Yahoo, I don't have to pay for them at least. Um, well, they're not really free. Uh, you're kind of the product when it comes to these things. You pay with your privacy. And since those companies have access to every email you send and receive, big tech can sell your data to the highest bidder. That's why you got to trust Startmail. Startmail to secure your email. Startmail keeps uh, my email private. Absolutely. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. That's a big part of this. With Startmail, uh, deleted emails mean deleted emails. When you delete an email, it's gone forever. You deserve that privacy. And Startmail uh, uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like Parler. Startmail is backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. So secure your email privacy with Startmail. 
Uh, sign up now. You'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash stew. S-T-A-R-T mail.com slash stew. Get 50% off your first year. S-T-A-R-T-M-A-I-L dot com slash stew. Check it out today. Please welcome back to the program, Jason Buttrell, Blaze TV personality, head writer, researcher for uh, Glenn Beck, and all those Glenn Beck adjacent projects here at Blaze TV. Jason, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Good. Um, so one of the big stories that we haven't talked that much about is lots of rockets falling on Israel, which begs the question, why are the Jews doing this to the poor Palestinians? I know, I not not provoked at all. No, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, because it seems like there's a bunch of rockets that land on Israel, and then we're supposed to act. What did the Jews do wrong? Right. It was either play soccer or fire a bunch of missiles into Gaza, right. and they're just like, eh, flip the coin. Yeah. Uh, over a thousand, I think it's a thousand fifty-three. The last time I looked, which was about I don't know, a little while ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, this is very irritating because the, the, the media, I mean, there's a lot of things going on right now. Mm -hmm. And it's it's absolutely frustrating when you look at how the media has covered every single thing. And it's been a lot of things that have been building up up until what we're seeing right now, which some are saying could escalate into a full scale war at yeah, the end of this. Just to kind of like my impression here is that, look, of course, Hamas is always firing a rocket or two in Israel. It seems like it's always going on. This is a major escalation, though, right? The worst I've seen. Um, and we saw a lot when the embassy moved uh, around that time. And tensions always kind of boil over around this time. This is when, uh, you know, it's for Israel, it's Jerusalem Day. I can't remember what the Palestinians call it, but it's not that. It's like Black something day or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when, when I saw, you know, the way the media was covering it when this first started kicking off, there was uh, Palestinians that were gearing up for this and they were going around slapping rabbis and anyone that, you know, had any kind of religious, Jewish religious attire on. They were slapping them. They were putting it on social media. So there was a group of uh, Jews that kind of organized, did their own little marches to protect, you know, their, their people, what, what was happening. Well, mm -hmm. of course, the media didn't report that the rabbis were getting assaulted. They just reported that these ultra-Orthodox, far-right Jews were going in and being all militant. That's how they always cover it. Yeah. They cover the response, never what brought it on. Um, then, of course, Ramadan is going on, and uh, they, um, the Palestinians up at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which overlooks the, the wall, you know, the, the wall, they had stones, and they were getting ready to throw them down on the Jews that were praying at the wall. Well, of course, the IDF responded, the police responded, uh, they threw some stun grenades, some of them went into the mosque, but of course that's all that they covered. They didn't cover why this was happening. Mm -hmm. Always from the Palestine, a pro-Palestinian uh, narrative. And then there's also the issue of, and this is the big thing uh, that's really kicking off the rockets, was there's a group of uh, Palestinian uh, families or people that are in East Jerusalem that the Supreme Court over in Israel ruled that they need to be evicted from their homes. That's all you read in the media, mm -hmm. that Israel is going into, you know, laying down settlements. They'll say that a lot. And of course, it's Israel being the colonial, you know, Zionists or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, this is absolutely ridiculous to me because everyone, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, all the, you know, the people with hot takes with blue checks on Twitter, you know, this is all they're talking about, how it's Israel's fault. They don't even know the history of it. They don't even know the history behind it, but they're arguing as if they do. I'm just going to lay it out right now. Um, and the, before you start, I mean, they probably know the history, but it does seem like they just intentionally will say anything bad about Jews. I mean, they're going to spin these things. Uh, you know, Ilan Omar is an anti-Semitic person, I think, by all accounts. 
um, including, I mean, not just hardcore conservatives either. Uh, I think they know this history, but uh, whether they are going to pay attention to it or, or spin it in another way is another story. Go ahead. You're giving them a lot of credit if they actually know the history behind it. Some of them might, but it's definitely, you know, that's definitely something I wouldn't put past them. That's something <laughs> they would want to do is they just want to cause uproar. But um, the true history behind this, in 1876, when this area was under Ottoman uh, rule, there were a group of Palestinian landowners in East Jerusalem, and they sold the property that's now in question to some Jewish uh, uh, developers or just families. They sold, mm -hmm. sold the property to Jews. Well, in 1948, during the first war after Israel, you know, de declared their homeland in, in the state of Israel, um, that land was then uh, taken during that war by Jordan. So Jordan immediately, they were the first ones to say, okay, now we got this land. They started bringing in Arabs to occupy those homes. The homes that were already bought and occupied by the Jews before the war. Uh, after the Six-Day War, Israel took that uh, territory back. Mm -hmm. It's been in contention ever since. Ever since. So only now have they made the ruling that, hey, this needs to go back to the people that actually own it. That's what this is all about. It was taken from Jews. The Jews never took it back until uh, right now they made it a, a, an issue. And now they want to go in and evict the people that are there so that the true owners can have it. That's what started this all off. And that's what's leading to all these rockets? That's what's leading to all these rockets. You talked about the hot take people on Twitter. One of the hot takes I've seen is I thought we, uh, that Jared Kushner solved all this. And now, oh my gosh. Now, at no point did Jared Kushner you know, give Hamas what they wanted. They never got peace with Hamas. Like, this is a general uh, problem progress in the Arab realm uh, generally. Um, but I mean, this take is completely ridiculous. Oh, completely ridiculous. Th see, this is the typical, this was the, the from the, the Democrats, you know, big peace in the Middle East uh, thing was to somehow, you know, give the terrorists, which that's what Hamas is, the, the, they're yes. terrorists, terrorist organization. give them everything they wanted, including mm -hmm. about, what was it, 200 billion that Blinken just gave them. He restarted that uh, humanitarian aid thing. Great. Which the humanitarian aid, uh, in all reality, is not really spent on anything to improve the lives of Palestinians in Gaza or the West Bank. It's to a large majority is to pay bounties for anyone that goes in and commits terror attacks against Jews. That's what a lot of that money goes for. That's what our administration just sent back to them. Hamas, their only reason for this, and this is, this is again, this is what's so infuriating when people talk about this from the Palestinian perspective. Hamas's only reason for being is to destroy Israel and kill Jews. That's their only reason. The, it's in their charter. It's in their charter. Mm -hmm. But then you have, I think it was, it might have been, I can't remember if it was Rashid Tlaib or one of them that was saying, oh, you know, well, Israel has the Iron Dome to protect them, but, you know, uh, Gaza doesn't have the Iron Dome. Mm hmm. Israel wouldn't need the Iron Dome if it wasn't for them shooting missiles at them. Yeah, this is... <laughs> what? I love this. It's like, there's this thing that they do with this, like, uh, this, this response level that Israel is supposed to have, which is basically to do, look, we'll allow Israel to fire really crappy rockets and not defend themselves because that's what the Palestinians are doing. That's not how war works. Like, when someone attacks you, you try to end it. You try to get the threat to be gone. Yeah. Instead, it's like, well, maybe they can kill four school children. It's like, well, no, that's not what's supposed to happen here. I mean, Israel launched a lot of attacks, it killed very few people compared to how many attacks they actually, you know, or how many uh, strikes they actually had. I, I think they do a good job with trying to minimize human damage, but they, 
you know, you can't just let Hamas store their missiles in a school and then, you know, let them fire whenever they want. You have to be able to take these things out. Yeah. It, Don't fire the missiles in the first place. Israel ha and the IDF have done everything they can to show the ludicrousness of some of this. They even uh, today they started publishing actual phone calls that the government is having with Palestinians in Gaza. So before there was a big video that came down that showed a, a what they called a residential building falling down and collapsing. Well, in all actuality, what none of them, none of the media outlets reported on was that was Hamas's military intelligence headquarters. Mm. Yes, there are civilians in there, but what they didn't show was, but the IDF is publishing out, you can see it right now on Twitter, they're publishing uh, the phone calls that they're making to people that actually work in the building. They're saying, hey, we're about to bomb this building. We know what it's really used for. Get out and get as many people you, that you can get out. You have until so-and-so, so-and-so. They're telling them in advance they're mm. going to strike it. They can't do any more. They really can't. They really can't. Uh, that's interesting. I, I think, like, there is a level of this, I think, in this age that you have to do. You almost have to be your own PR person. I give you exa another example of this. This goes to America and the police situation. There was a, a video that was released uh, last week where a, a Hispanic um, uh, officer was pulling over a teacher. Uh, it was a black teacher in this particular yeah. case. And she was like, you're a Mexican racist, you're a murderer, like was like really, really offensive and awful. And he was very polite uh, in, in response and handled the situation very well. I almost think like, the police need to be releasing more of those things. Mm -hmm. Show the American people how much abuse they get and how they almost always uh, handle these things very, very well. Because the American people, the media is not gonna help you. The media is not gonna help the IDF. The media is not going to help Israel. They're going to only hurt. So they actually have to kind of do their own thing and go around the media and go to Twitter to get this information out. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I will, if I can criticize Israel on one thing, uh, and I've criticized the, the IDF to their faces on this when I was in Jerusalem yeah. when the embassy opened. I remember this, yeah. Um, but I told them, I was like, you know, you guys produce these very slick videos and they do. The IDF does these like Hollywood production videos where they show what they're actually doing. Um, the problem is that they know that the Western media is not going to give them a, uh, you know, an honest take on what's actually mm -hmm. going. And plus, they don't want the firestorm if a, a Western journalist ends up getting killed in some of these things. So what they've pretty much done is locked out journalists from embedding. Like, so what you see in like Iraq, when you have journalists actually with military units so they mm -hmm. can show what's actually happening. That's what needs to happen in Israel. I've begged and pleaded for them. I'm like, put me in the bunkers with you guys so I can show you, show you know, the world what's actually happening. Because until you do that, they're going to write their own narratives because mm -hmm. they are, they all hate you. You know, they've all jumped on this uh, on the other bandwagon. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, they're going to lie about it. I think uh, putting you near war zones has turned out to be not always the best. Uh, it's ba it's ba backfired. It's back I will say it's backfired. <laughs> well, well, it wasn't backfired. <laughs> I, I watched the video correctly. I actually told them to put uh, you in the bunkers. <laughs> that's, so like, that's a terrible <laughs> idea, unless there's a buffet there. Um, let me move over quickly to uh, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is going to be, looks like. That's a natural shift. Yeah, I know. <laughs> getting a shot with the Jacksonville Jaguars to come back as a tight end. Um, this on Twitter is white. It converts into white privilege somehow. Right. Yes. Well, actually, it is a good uh, transition, actually, because, again, it's the media yeah. and everyone else taking a completely false narrative. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, this is uh, white privilege. It's because Tim Tebow is white um, and they're instantly drawing, you know, uh, a parallel to Colin Kaepernick. Well, why isn't Colin Kaepernick, you know, still in the league? You know, because, you know, it must be a black white thing. Mm. Come on. Maybe not. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the only privilege that's going on here is the privilege that Tim Tebow has a working relationship, a very good working relationship with a new head coach, Urban Meyer. Yep. 
That's the only reason. Yeah. Do I think he's going to get a job? I do not. I think he'll get a tryout, but right. I think he'll get enough of a tryout through training camp so that they can print up some jerseys <laughs> and make a whole lot of money <laughs> off very of them. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, look, he's an amazing athlete. He is. You know? And, he like, is. I do I think he you – know, I don't know if he can make it as an NFL Titan. I will say that if – because I think you're right, right? Relationships matter. You have a, a, a specific relationship with the head coach. It's going to be, uh, you have a better chance of becoming. This isn't any job, right? Right. Any job is like this, right? I know a guy. I will say, in addition to that, though, if Tim Tebow had decided when he was playing quarterback to do this, right, five years ago, he would have had tons of tryouts throughout the league to play tight end because that's what I know the Jets specifically wanted to use him in this sort of, uh, you know, jack of all trades sort of role. He plays some in the backfield, play some tight end, play some quarterback. Like that but, Saints quarterback. He'd yeah, been like perfect t- for yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like Taysom Hill. Taysom and, Hill. and he wanted, he didn't want to do that because he didn't, he wanted to work on being a quarterback. And like that's his own risk. And he obviously then went to go play baseball. Um, Colin Kaepernick has shown the exact opposite. Every time he's had an opportunity, opportunity to go to a team he's blown it up in, in one way or another he's had multiple uh, potential tryouts that he has uh, has blown up including like you know calling members of the team uh, you know uh, criticizing members of the team actively he then had a NFL uh, organized tryout where all the teams were invited most of them were coming and then he blew that off and told him to drive across town so he could do, you know work on his reality show I mean, the guy has absolutely no intention of playing football in his entire life. He does not want to play football. He knows this role he's doing now, faking racism uh, to hide his crappy play, is uh, <laughs> is a much more lucrative option. Yeah, I. Um, so we talked about this before. The only he only became an activist when, and I think this is actually a deeper point on this. He only became an activist after he sucked. Yes, he could only do one thing as a quarterback. He did it well when when they didn't sort figure of. him out. But um, after that, when it, when when defenses figured out, you know, he sucked, and so he got benched. Then he becomes an activist. Thank you. Do I think he could probably be better than some backups right now? Probably. Maybe. Probably. Possibly. I mean, some backups really really suck. I, I you know I, I could see him competing for a backup job. The problem sure. is, if I'm an NFL owner. And I don't doubt it for a second that they all got together and said, look, we can't have this guy. Why? Because he used this social, you know, this social unrest, this social, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. to try and, you know, force quarterback or uh, GMs and head coaches to put him back into a job that he wasn't qualified for. Mm-hmm. He, that, that was the whole reason for him to do that. Mm. Who is going to hire a guy like that? I mean, why do we continue to think that character issues don't matter in some of, the, in some of these cases? Yeah. Of course they do. In any job, that is a major character issue. You don't know if, if he comes to be your backup quarterback, what is he going to do to try to leverage something, some kind of social, social issue to become the, head court, the starting quarterback? And he doesn't care at all about any of these issues. He cares about himself. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, don't, I would... You might be right. Maybe they all got together. But, like, again, they organized only a couple of years ago this massive tryout for everyone to come out. The NFL did something that's comp- – he that they've never done that for any other player in, as far as I know, NFL history. They've never said, you know what, we're going to organize a tryout because we want to make sure that you get your fair chance. And he blew that up without even doing it. Um, I don't think he has any intention to play. And I don't think that I, – I think there's a lot of – owners who agree that he'd be too much of a hassle in a third or fourth string quarterback, you know, practice squad type of guy, which I think is the level of his talent. But still, in reality, like I, I don't think there needed to be a conversation. 
I mean, every time a team like Baltimore, a pe- team like Seattle, um, and there's been other teams as well uh, that have come out and said, all right, we're going to give this guy a shot. He's blown it up. It's not them. He's blown it up. Um, and also, he's not good enough to play. <laughs> Jason Buttrell, uh, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, you can see him on Blaze TV all the time as well. Thanks so much for uh, stopping in. Where can people follow you on, on the Twitters? Uh, at Jason Buttrell. And I will say just one last point. Mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine with him going to play with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think his talent level is right. perfect for there. You want, you want to say it would be hard. It would be hard for me to be a fan. <laughs> I don't know how I would. That's one I don't think I could deal with. I don't think I could deal with. I mean, the dog killer, I was totally fine with it. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, no thank you. Uh, Jason, thanks for what's going on. Thanks. Back in a second. So the New York Yankees have seven vaccinated members testing positive for COVID-19. Six of them are asymptomatic. Um, now, this is a little odd. It's certainly not norm- It doesn't normally happen. There have been thousands and thousands of breakthrough cases. Of course, as we know, these vaccines are not 100 percent effective. Um, but, you know, a, a cluster like this is pretty interesting. Uh, again, six of the seven are asymptomatic. They're uh, mo- mainly coaches, too, so they're a little bit on the older side. Um, so it's kind of interesting that uh, six uh, of the seven are asymptomatic. I guess in theory, like, you know, we could have as many asymptomatic cases as, you know, who cares, really? I mean, you know, again, there, there are issues with variants and stuff. But, like, I had asymptomatic COVID back in the day. I'm an asymptomatic COVID survivor. Mm-hmm, that's me. Uh, really doesn't make any difference in your life because you don't even know you have it. It's part of the problem and why we had a global pandemic. But if everyone's vaccinated and everyone's only getting asymptomatic cases, it's not that big of a deal. It's certainly an improvement of what we've been doing over the past year. There was a study in Israel, by the way, that showed um, the vaccines were prevented 97 percent of symptomatic cases, uh, but only 86 percent of asymptomatic. So we will still have people that will test positive here and there. We'll see how that develops as we go uh, forward. We do have new guidance from the CDC. I know you're excited about that. Everybody always wants to hear about the new CDC guidance. First, let's hear from Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, on CBS with Gail King. And and I want to the, the thing I want you to catch here, because a lot of people are talking about the Fauci part of this interview. And there's some something there as clearly now uh, the scientists are starting to admit the science uh, that has been out there for a long time that once you're vaccinated, there's no reason to, to act like this anymore. I mean, that's the whole point of the vaccine. Um, uh, but everyone's talking about the Fauci part. But I want you to focus on the Gail King part of this, because this is a real issue. This is going to be the harder challenge, I think, going forward as uh, as we go uh, into the post covid era. Listen to the goblins that are jumping around in her brain about COVID. Watch. Dr. Fauci, please help us with the mask situation. I know we're told we can wear it outside. We don't have to wear it outside. But I'm telling you, I was in New York, where I live, walking down the street. I just stopped a random lady. Mm -hmm. And I said, have you been vaccinated? She said, yes. I said, me too. Why are we wearing our masks? She goes, I don't know. I mean, because I think we all feel, and I said, me too, ma'am, me too. I think we all either feel guilty or we feel it's not time or we see everybody else doing it. It's monkey see, monkey do. Mm -hmm. Is it, do you really think it's okay? Because I still feel judged. I feel people giving you the side eye. Side eye. It's not comfortable, Dr. Fauci. I know, Gail, we've got to make that transition. If you were vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask outside. It would be a very unusual situation. If you were going into a completely crowded situation where people are essentially falling all over each other, then you wear a mask. (laughs) But any other time, if you're vaccinated and you're outside, put aside your mask. You don't have to wear it. 
Okay, people are still judging. I mean, listen to her. I mean, she is freaking freaked out about this, not about the virus, but about other people judging her. Uh, at one point she says it's not comfortable. I mean, the mask is comfortable now? Like, I mean, I, I, to me, taking the mask off is comfortable. Now, it might not be comfortable to people looking at me. I, I can see that sort of approach, but I don't know. I mean, I think like the whole point is let's get these things off so we can go back to what feels comfortable again. Uh, there's a sort of a there's a lot of goblins in, in the brains of these people, especially up north, the northeast in particular. I'm sure California has a lot of this as well. Uh, New Mexico, Illinois, any of these really restricted states. It is uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch this uh, uh, happen. Now, one of the things that Fauci talked about there was not wearing uh, masks outside. This is something, by the way, you never needed to do. I mean, I, there was never a point. There's never science that supported wearing masks outside unless you were maybe in like um, a protest celebrating Biden's victory or a George Floyd protest. You know, like really close uh, uh, people all really gathered together. You could make some arguments. There have been some transmission. But as we mentioned on this many times on this program, according to The New York Times, there have been exactly zero confirmed cases uh, passed outdoors except for close uh, conversation in the entire world. Zero. Zero. So there was never a point in which wearing masks outside made any sense. So Fauci said, look, wear your masks outside except for extreme circumstances. Well, after that interview aired, the CDC went a lot farther, and this is the first time this has really happened. This is sort of breaking as we were putting the show uh, together today. Um, but they say, quote, the science is clear. If you are fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you can start doing the things you stopped doing because of the pandemic. The new advice comes with caveats. Even vaccinated individuals must cover their faces and physically distance when, listen, going to the doctor's, hospitals, long-term care facilities like a nursing home or whatever, traveling by bus, plane, train, or other modes of transportation, or while in transportation hubs like airports and bus stations, prisons, jails, or homeless shelters. So what they're saying is vaccination back to normal. Now, if this messaging existed in January, I think it would have made a lot of difference, but it didn't. Um, we are now to that point where you could say, there's, I mean, the CDC is saying, Everything goes with the exception of the real those those exceptions with the exception of those places like, you know, a long term care facility. You might still want to take extra precautions. OK, uh, I know I just took a flight this past weekend. They're still doing it on the on uh, airplanes and stuff. And that's going to probably last for a little while, a little longer than you or I want it to last. But again, is that the end of the world? Probably not. This is basically back to life as normal. No restrictions you notice for, I don't know, like. Big concerts, no restrictions for comedy shows, no restrictions for bars, crowded play. They're just saying if you're vaccinated, you're out, except for like you're going to if you're going to prison, you got to wear the mask, guys. You got to wear the mask. Um, and before we go, let me get, give you this, because this is the thing that's been frustrating about all this, especially in 2021 and, and, and everything from summer on in 2020 was we had a really good sense of about basically what was going on with this virus. Outside was, was fine, indoors, try to avoid it. We got a vaccine, you're pretty much fine. That is kind of how this has gone. And the left has been saying, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Well, the science is clear on this stuff at this point. And we really can uh, go back to our normal lives without all that much risk. I found this chart to be fascinating though. This is, uh, this is from The Economist and YouGov. They did a chart um, uh, of the polling 
um, on whether you're willing to take the vaccine or not. Are you confident in taking the vaccine? Do we have the chart? Because this is pretty fascinating. You watch, look at the green line, chart of Palooza, Conservatives Unite. You see a decrease. These are Democrats. You see a decrease heading down, 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 down. And all of a sudden, there's a magical turnaround, I assume, in the science because they were following the science, it turns around and it goes all the way up and all of a sudden they become incredibly confident in the vaccines. The science changed right there, right at that inflection point. Of course, the date is, let's say, early November. I wonder what changed in early November that would completely reverse Democrats on their confidence in the vaccine. Does anyone have any ideas? Is there anything out there that could possibly be the cause of Democrats saying, you know what? Uh, now I think the vaccine's good. Amazing. Follow the science, my ass. Back in a second. If you want to be happy and healthy, you know, when you're going back to the world, you're starting to see people again. They're looking at you. You can't hide behind the mask anymore. Maybe you want to slim down a little bit. Maybe you want to back off a little bit. Maybe you want to have something that you can satisfy your hunger. Also will taste delicious and will be healthy. Well, there is something that exists in that realm. It is Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar. Why? It's high in protein. It's high in fiber, it's low in calories, it's low in carbs. If you're on keto or South Beach or Atkins or any of these uh, low carb diets, it'll work for you. No matter what you're doing to try to be healthy, Built Bar will work. Now, what if you're trying to be unhealthy? That's kind of my vibe, okay? Built Bar works as well because they have amazing flavors for you. They, they go for taste first. This is not like the old sandpaper, uh, you know, crappy protein bars. These are delicious. There's an entire shelf in my fridge always dedicated to Bilt Bar. My wife loves them all the time. Glenn eats like three at a time. I mean, I don't mean like one, two, three. I mean three at a time, sandwich them down, and then eat them. I don't know if they're healthy if you eat them like that, but uh, Bilt Bar is the answer to your health goals, and they taste good too. Uh, BiltBar.com is the place to go. BiltBar.com. Use the promo code STU15 and save 15% off your next order. Use that promo code STU15. That's how they know you like this stupid show. Stew 15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. President Joe Biden has warned gas companies against taking advantage of Americans amid fuel shortages. Uh, they say he says nobody should be using this situation for financial gain. That's what the hackers were trying to do, which, by the way, they succeeded in. Apparently five million dollars were paid in Bitcoin to the hackers. Uh, that's what they are, not us. That's not who we are. This is this whole thing. We're going to go into this now where places like North Carolina, uh, where massive amounts of gas stations are out of gas right now. You're going to still start hearing all these reports of price gouging. I remind you, price gouging does not exist. There is no price gouging. There are only prices. If you want to pay the price for whatever service is being sold, you can make that decision at that time. You know, if they had raised these gas prices before when they knew the shortage was coming, uh, people, instead of maybe filling up and filling up extra containers like they were all over these areas, and that's really what caused the shortage, instead of doing that, they probably would have taken only what they needed. You know, if it was more expensive, they probably would have taken less gas and maybe driven less, maybe stayed home. Um, that's how the market uh, reacts to these things. And price gouging is actually a good thing in a lot of cases. 
you can always decide whether you want to get that item or not and how you can deal with that. Instead, they kept it at the same price, so everyone loaded up and created mass shortages all over the place. This happens every time, and then politicians do the same thing every time, complain about price gouging. It's an infuriating loop. Uh, alcohol to go, now permanent in Florida. A lot of uh, states did this. Texas was one of them as well. You can now order, go to a bar, order a drink, and you can take it to go. Uh, look, I, alcohol rules are insane all over America. They don't make any sense. You can buy some stuff in some stores. You can't buy other stuff in other stores. They all have to close at like 4 p.m. or something. But you can go to bars until 2 a.m. You can drink at home. You can bring all this out. You can buy giant vats of alcohol and bring them home and drink yourself into oblivion. But you can't go out and uh, drink at a bar in the middle of the night because they close too early. Uh, none of this stuff makes any sense to me. Uh, alcohol to go. I, look, it's better. I, I, I think it's the right way. Uh, to go. It shouldn't be illegal to, uh, you can buy a drink and bring it home from a, you know, a package store or a liquor store, no matter what they call it in your area, state store. Um, but you can't do it from a place that makes the drink better than you can. I don't know if that makes any sense. So uh, DeSantis is getting that in. That makes sense. Um, and look, the government is always here to help you. Always. That's why they did such a great job in Houston, um, because there was a guy who had a tiger in his backyard. Apparently, look, a lot of us have tigers for pets, right? This happens very commonly. So they came, they, they, they apparently came to get this guy and uh, had a, he had a tiger in the back. They took him away. Um, the one thing they forgot to do, because uh, he had the tiger in the backyard, was secure the tiger. So now the tiger's on the loose. I mean, they got the guy, though, who owned the tiger. They got him away. The only issue was the tiger escaped, and now there's a nine-month-old male uh, tiger named India roaming around the streets of Houston. I love this quote. Uh, Residents in the upscale suburban neighborhood said they were surprised about the arrest and their neighbor's connection to the tiger, saying it was a good reminder to be vigilant. Vigilant for tigers? Is that something we need to... Did I miss something? Or do we need to be vigilant for tigers? Apparently so. Back in a second. Nancy Pelosi sucks. That's why we have a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen right here, and the Nancy Pelosi sucks mug. It might be a little hard to check out, but this is one of the. This is one of the. You, know, you could see it here in the picture. This is one of the glory, uh, glorious things about the Nancy Pelosi sucks mug, in that. You really, unlike the Andrew Cuomo is awful mug, which you can read from like, you know, across the state, this one's much more subtle. And I think it's, it's one of those things you have it at work. People won't even notice it until they look and it just says Nancy Pelosi sucks. In her signature, by the way, I think you'll really appreciate it. Uh, StuDoesMerch.com is the place to go to get all the merch that you need. And BlazeTV.com slash Stu. The promo code is Stu. Uh, that's how I know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. Don't miss it. Okay, before we go. I have to tell you about a Zoom call that went on uh, with a guy named Nathaniel Saxton. Now, Nathaniel uh, was a defendant in a court case. Uh, he, was, he had some issues with drug, drug paraphernalia. I'm not saying he did drugs. I'm just saying he happened to have the paraphernalia needed to do drugs. Totally different things, by the way. We should point that out. Totally different things. Uh, so he's, he's in Zoom court. And Zoom court's weird, right, for people. You know, they're not used to this. It's a totally different process. You're supposed to, you know, be dressed well when you go to court. What do you do for a Zoom, uh, Zoom call? So anyway, he signs on. Everything's going normal until people realize um, his username 
I'll be gentle here. Um, was but effer 3000. Someone, unfortunately, he didn't change his username. He eventually did sign back on as uh, Nathaniel Saxion, which he misspelled his own name, but that's much better than having your name be but effer 3000. Trust me.